0: Chapter 17 It's a hot potato. We don't want it, I said, fully animated. It's now the summer of 2020. Biden has beaten Warren in the primaries. No surprise there. People wanted a known commodity, someone who wasn't going to shake things up too much, someone predictable, someone boring. The lame choice of Biden only served to accelerate my commitment to our efforts to elect Trump for I knew Biden would play it safe and fall back on tired old policies of the past, while making Democrats look bad in the process as an inevitable recession loom. Recruiting people for Shelley's movement came naturally for me. I'd done the pitch so many times at this point, I knew precisely what reasoning I needed to employ for each personality type. No group was unreachable. Even people of Mexican descent who were U.S. citizens, but some of their relatives were not, they were eager to join our effort to vote for another four years of Trump. When I asked them why, they simply said, I just want more money, man. They felt Trump would deliver. Now I was talking to a group of six guys in a bar who were in the financial sector. They knew the economy well. I studied their comments on places like Market Watch. They were bearish on stocks and believed the economy was being propped up by low interest rates, high debt, and cheap money. I, for one, do not have any confidence in the market fundamentals, I said, lazily plagiarizing their very own words from a previous thread I'd read. Didn't matter. They ate it up. It's going to tank, dude, said one. It sure is, said the other. A hot potato, indeed. Yep, and hard too, I agreed. Now, do we as Democrats want to be left holding the bag when the economy hits the fan? They'll just blame us for it again, as they did with Obama. And he inherited a financial shit show from Bush. Chris Wallace, from Fox News no less, recently held Mulvaney's feet to the fire, asking him about the ballooning debt. Chris Wallace said... Obama still managed to lower the debt by 9% a year after the recession. Yet Trump, even in a good economy, is accelerating our debt. It's insane. And when it crashes, they won't remember 45 gave a huge tax cut to the wealthy when we could have saved for a rainy day. No, they'll only point to the fact that a Democrat was at the helm when the House of Cards fell. Now, I'm not going to lie to you fellas, I said, and I meant it. Lying doesn't work around here. We get our information from multiple sources and good ones like NPR. Plus, we're constantly being challenged by our peers. If something even whiffs of BS, it's called out. It could get pretty bumpy, I said. The next downturn is going to be bad, they agreed. The Fed can't help us. Interest rates are already low, and we already have tons of debt. We're not going to be able to borrow our way out of this one. And China hates us now. Trump voters will say the hell with them, but China was a huge source of investment for us. In 2018, China invested only $2 billion in the US, while in 2016, China had invested a whopping $45 billion. That's a 96% drop on China investing money in our country. Yes, that's precisely why our sights are set on the long term. We're willing to sacrifice the next four years and this instant gratification mentality we live in for the betterment of the next 20 years. The party in charge, be it Democrat or Republican, flips every two years. Voters buy into a candidate's agenda when they're campaigning and elect him president only to flip his Congress two years later. How can we get lasting change when we the people are so fickle? We need policies that will endure beyond two years. Four more years of Trump would be some awful medicine. But the alternative is zigzagging every two years for the next 20. We don't have that time. They were sold. But as true capitalists, they couldn't help themselves to see if they could bargain even further. Have you ever considered maybe trading our San Francisco ballots to the folks in the Midwest in exchange for their written promise? They won't blame others for their plight for the next 20 years? It's not a bad idea. We can take it into consideration. We ended our conversation, shook hands, and went our separate ways, but not before they inquired about our next gathering of like-minded people. You're getting good at this, Shelley said. I learned from the best, I replied. Just then, her cell phone rang. She looked at the screen to see who it was. I peeked too. It just said, Washington, D.C. Excuse me, I have to take this. She walked away. I tried to stay with an earshot. Yes, things are moving. No, we haven't gotten it back yet. Okay, I'll ask him. Yes, I said I will. Okay, okay, all right, goodbye. Yeah, I love you too. She sounded exasperated while I felt the sting of hearing her affection for another. Sorry about that, she said. No problem. Look, we need to get to Viv fast. Our intel suggests they're close to releasing it. I had been to several of Viv's events slowly, carefully, and without appearing too eager. I had worked myself into her circle of trust. I was methodical. No, it's not as exciting as the spy movies that culminate in a drunken tryst and a dramatic escape across rooftops. That's not Viv's modus operandi. Trust was her weakness, not male genitalia. Instead, I watched her. I listened. I learned. I knew she claimed not to keep a backup file of her computer, as that would only increase the chances of someone stealing the contents back. Maybe it won't be so bad, I said, of the peepee tape. I mean, the guy has admitted to cheating on all three of his wives, some with porn stars. He's got over 20 sexual assault allegations against him. And he's admitted to grabbing pussy without permission. And still, evangelicals support him, I said, trying to ease Shelley's concern. Maybe, Shelley mused, maybe evangelicals will be able to see past their president pissing on the face of a young girl, she said, with a straight face no less. She continued, I mean, after all, we did just get a commerce report stating 2.8% growth this quarter. See? I said, encouraging, knowing Republicans' priorities. The big picture mattered none. It was what people hear last that shapes their knee-jerk opinions. And it's why Shelley was desperate to get the tape back. She couldn't chance it being the last thing people saw heading into the voting booths. No sooner did we bend our minds into believing that a tepid economic report could supersede a president's deviant nature, did our hopes vanish in an instant. Our phones buzzed simultaneously. Shelley looked at hers first. Oh my god, she gasped. I knew she was looking at the news. Only something urgent from the wire would hit both our phones at the same time. I scrambled through my backpack to find mine. No, 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 not yet. Shelly was in a frenzy. What is it? Is it the tape? I looked at my phone. The headline read, RBG, dead at 88. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the last liberal Supreme Court warrior. Wait. I said, trying to process this information and how it impacted the electorate. This is good news, isn't it? I mean, not for RGB, I don't wish death on anyone. But won't this rally his base in the same way it did when Scalia died? Yes, this news would virtually seal our win, but if they release that peepee tape after this headline, we'll lose all the momentum of this windfall, I said, finishing her sentence. You need to get to Viv, she ordered me, as her phone was already ringing in her hands. Tonight, she ordered, before answering the call from D.C. Chapter 18, Free Will Ted Kaczynski sat alone in hell, plotting his final moves to tip the scales in Trump's favor. Ted's death, it turns out, was not much different than his life. Was he destined for this path? How much of our future, our decisions, are predetermined by genes and environment? How much can we choose? How much can we change? Could we have nurtured a different outcome for Ted? Ted's boss wanted assurance that I was going to follow through with Shelley's plan tonight and destroy the peepee tape. Trump's re-election depended on it. Ted poured over every input. All signs point to a positive outcome, Ted said. We targeted a person who was vulnerable, disillusioned, alone, grieving. We stoked his fear and hatred. We gave him new purpose with hope. As if it wasn't enough, he's also now feeling rebuffed by a romantic interest. We couldn't ask for a better target. He is fully indoctrinated. I do not share your confidence, Ted said his superior. I see the conflict within him. Ted thought of Luke Skywalker as similar words were once spoken of him. Will he turn to the dark side or remain with the rebellion? It's the same old story told a thousand different ways, but here we are telling it again. The human condition can be exhausting, but it's all we know. Utopia is a mirage, a fool's errand, because struggle and triumph and failure and success and pain and bliss is what makes our experience life on Earth. We've done everything within our power to turn to Lido. He will fulfill his destiny, Ted concluded, intentionally echoing dialogue from Star Wars and laughing a little inside. Ted was dismissed. Alone, he returned to the study. He scanned a stack of DVDs and finally selected a movie, not based on its entertainment value, but rather for its merit as research material. The movie he looked to now for inspiration was called Nemesis. It was a Star Trek movie, and if we're being honest, not one of their best. Nevertheless, the core idea of the movie was powerful, and was this premise of the movie that drew Ted to it now. You see, in the movie, the hero, Captain Picard, meets his nemesis. That nemesis turns out to be himself. Now, how is that possible? Because many years ago, someone stole his DNA and then cloned him, blah, blah, blah. The details are unimportant. Here's what is important. The cloned Jean-Luc Picard, who was a biological replica of our Starfleet hero, turned out to be a very, very different person than our beloved captain. While our Jean-Luc grew up on a vineyard picking grapes in France in his youth, the replica grew up on a war-torn planet filled with immeasurable violence and hate. And now, not surprisingly, the clone Jean-Luc became, as an adult, ruthlessly evil. Now, our Jean-Luc tried to convince the evil Jean-Luc that he too could be a force of good because, well, after all, they had the same DNA. But the evil Jean-Luc was standing on much firmer body of evidence, stating that his environment was too great to overcome. Ted paused the movie just as the two Jean-Lucs were fighting, first verbally, than physically. Two Jean-Luc Bacard, genetically identical with two very different outcomes. He picked up a picture of me. He studied it. He wondered if he had done enough to persuade me to fulfill his bidding. The other devil's angels, they had it so easy. Anyone can stoke radicalism in places like Syria, Rwanda, or western Pennsylvania. But San Francisco, while not without its problems, still clings to the American dream. That idealistic fantasy, that opportunity and success is available to anyone who sets their mind to it. Americans bought into this illusion because of what seemed at the time like an unending spigot of money and manufacturing and jobs and natural resources and materialism and we patted ourselves on the back, convincing ourselves that we did this, that we earned all of it on our own. And some of us did, but many more reliant on that spigot to keep gushing out opportunity. And when it turns to a trickle in places like Youngstown, Ohio, There's no amount of strong work ethic, grit, and determination that's going to yield that wistful euphoria of a forgotten age. Consider that the people today in places like Lordstown, Ohio, are descendants of their parents and grandparents of Lordstown, Ohio from decades past. There's no difference in their work ethic or drive or love of country or anything material that has resulted in a different outcome yet their reality is in stark contrast to their grandparents 50 years ago. Their predicament is no more their fault today than was their grandparents perceived success 60 years ago. There's so much more that determines our fate, our success, our failures that is beyond our control. Automation, globalization, education, race, social capital, geography, these all trump hard work. But this is not an easy pill to swallow, because we have been conditioned for 100 years to believe the American dream, that equal opportunity and prosperity and mobility is available to anyone who works hard and sets their mind to it. If that's the case, can we then just tell the Midwest to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps? No, we can't. I'm sorry, but in most cases, you didn't build it. We all did. Ted put down my picture. He picked up one of himself as a brilliant but clueless 16-year-old on his first day at Harvard. His nemesis. Chapter 19 national fever. Viv trusted me. The path to her kryptonite went through her heart, not her loins. I was sincere. I was vulnerable. I was lost and needing direction. She took me under her wing. Her instinct was to save, to protect, to guide. She felt responsible for reasons I don't know, to give me hope and give me purpose. While men are all too willing to throw damaged people away into prisons isolated in society, it simply goes against a woman's maternal fiber. Women are relentless. They don't give up on people. This was Viv's strength and the weakness I was to exploit. I was not pretending either. I was not lying. I was hurt, still. I had traveled through denial, anger, depression, during my grief that started on Election Day 2016. The phase of my grief was now entering the bargaining stage. It's a confusing time filled with many, if only, statements. If only our country could have responded more effectively to globalization 50 years ago to ease the transition for the Midwest. If only Fox News didn't profit from the spread of hate and lies to a demographic who is hurting and apt to believe in falsehoods. If only social media would disappear off the face of the planet forever. If only we could stop fighting about petty things like bathroom laws in North Carolina, MS-13, Black Lives Matter, Obama's tan suit, things that are blown way out of proportion, and instead realize how many more things we actually have in common. If only there were term limits, and government officials were not career politicians, but instead it was was a volunteer gig like jury duty, where random people were chosen to serve our country without being influenced by donors, lobbyists, and corporations. Instead, they just did the right thing. Not because their political future depended on it, but because they wanted to help Americans. If only everyone would just think like I do. The bargaining stage is a mental hamster wheel. You run through every event, past, present, future, a thousand times at high speed and in the end, you change absolutely nothing person must wade through this mental gymnastics of existential proportion before they can hope to reach the final stage of grief. Acceptance. I entered the hall on this fateful night to a ruckus crowd. The venue was the largest yet. No longer could we foot inside the old Black Panther's headquarters. Viv and her team were now renting giant halls to fill thousands. The 2020 presidential election was only one month away and people were abuzz. This crowd simply could not tolerate another four years of 45. It was unfathomable. They were passionate. Some were angry. While 45 and the GOP doubled down on immigration, even in places like North Dakota, where residents would have to travel hundreds of miles to see somebody with brown skin. The Democrats, as expected, even after four years of preparation to get their message on point, with the election only weeks away, they were still all over the map. And this group reflected that fragmentation. For God's sake, we need an informed electorate. To hell with the citizenship census question. I'd rather a few informed non-citizens voting than an entire demographic who still believes Obama is a Muslim born in Africa. Several cheered while adding to his sentiments. Can you imagine what would happen if voters had to pass a basic test of 10 questions to qualify their political competency? Now people started throwing questions out at random. Question one. Who has killed vastly more Americans in our country the past four years? Immigrants? or domestic American terrorists? Question two, which of the following had resulted in the greatest loss of American manufacturing jobs, automation, China, or democratic policies? Question three, who began the family separation policy, Obama or Trump? Question four, how many guilty pleas of Trump associates resulted directly from the Mueller report? None. One to three, four to six, or over six? A follow-up to question four, question 4B. Of the ten investigations held against Hillary Clinton on Benghazi, how many convictions were issued? None. One to three, four to six, or over six? Question five. Is climate change real? Question six. Is human evolution real? Question seven. Was Hillary Clinton connected with a child sex trafficking ring out of a pizzeria? Question eight. Were two million fraudulent votes cast for Hillary in the 2016 presidential election? Question nine. Whose inauguration crowd was larger, Obama or Trump? Question ten. True or false? Quote, Democrats are radical socialists who want to turn America into Venezuela. Frustrated laughter sprung from the crowd. Are you telling me if we took 1,000 people at random, 500 Fox News viewers versus 500 NPR listeners, that the level of fact-based knowledge for each of these groups wouldn't be vastly disparate? I wondered what conversations were taking place about us at Republican events? What fact-based questions would they have me answer? And is there any question I'd get wrong? Yes, Obama said no one would lose their health insurance and a few million people did lose their existing insurance because those plans didn't meet standards. I know this is fact. Yes, the Fed, Obama, made a bad deal with the solar panel company Solyndra that resulted in a $500 million loss. I know this is fact. Yes, Hillary was a moron for keeping a private server. I know that too. What else do you have? There was blood in the water. It was turning into a free-for-all. How can we not look down our noses with this level of ignorance? They'd look down their noses at us too if they saw us doing unintelligible things like Planting corn in December or using a plywood blade to cut through concrete or a wood bit to drill through steel. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. Guys, guys, holding this over their heads is only going to drive them further away. So we're supposed to just ignore their complete lack of critical thinking skills in the face of a moral and environmental crisis? Just ignore it, that's what you're saying? If the end goal is to get us more united, then yes. Don't highlight it. Don't dwell on it. And don't throw it in their faces every chance you get. Groans rumbled across the group, as most considered facts and truth as gospel. Anything less was blasphemy. In 2012, Paul Ryan said, 60% of Americans are takers, not makers. Well, Democratic states like California, New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts, those are the maker states while the top taker states are places like West Virginia, Kentucky, South Carolina, all Republican states. Maybe we should start keeping our own money in our own states. Great idea, knucklehead, because increasing poverty and lowering education in red states will make this situation so much better. Well, maybe they should show a little more gratitude. Genius. Let me get this straight. The people we call stupid and make fun of and shit on their religion... You want those people who are losing this game to show more gratitude to the few of us who are actually winning it? Well, we earned it, didn't we? I mean, isn't that how your precious capitalism works? Winner takes all. Why should I apologize? I'm just playing this game better than them. Another countered with a deck that's stacked in your favor. That's an insult! And untrue. My Asian parents were poor. They had nothing. Didn't even speak English. And yet here I am. We started with nothing and we worked harder. Hashtag learned a code. Same here, said another. My parents didn't choose Hammond, Indiana to immigrate to from our native Bangalore, India. That would have been like jumping out of the Karai into the Tawa." We relocated ourselves where the jobs were, San Francisco, and we prepared ourselves to compete there. We can't all be engineers, guys. We need mechanics, farmers, tradesmen, and we should all support a living wage. One after another, people vented. Right now, there are mothers in Central America walking their children hundreds of miles to places with better opportunity. And also right now, there are third-generation Ohioans refusing to leave their counties in search of better opportunity, despite every advantage and decades of warning signs. And on and on and on it went, each person stating facts, each person posing truths, yet few offering anything in the way of an actual solution. During the height of yet another rant from another millennial, This one against boomers and their entitlement programs, the mood of the group changed notably. The shift rippled through the participants until it finally reached me. Viv was listening. She was just standing there, like the rest of us. She interrupted the discussion without uttering a single word. By just standing there. The millennial currently occupying the soapbox suddenly and dramatically lost his conviction. It's not as easy to spout vitriol outside your peer group. Only when it was quiet did Viv finally speak. Has anyone here been in a committed relationship? Anyone married? Not a single hand was raised. Of course not. Most of you are still in your 20s and 30s, Vid reminded them. So let me tell you about being in a relationship. When shit goes bad, the people in good relationships pull together. And they are stronger for it. Most of you couldn't even identify Ohio on a map before November 11th, 2016. They have been ignored. Well, now they want to be heard. When a relationship is damaged, we don't dwell on a mistake for eternity. In a good relationship, we listen and affirm each other and move on. And what if we're in a bad relationship? Someone with brass balls said from the back. A bad relationship, Viv answered. Oh, you mean like in 1861 when we fought and killed each other for four years, costing 660,000 lives over our differences? Is that where you think we are? The person didn't reply. I didn't think so. Have some perspective, she said. Now is our time to avert any chance of that level of hate happening again. We can change course. We can learn from this episode. Heck, in a crazy way, I can envision a time years from now where we all thank Trump for being a warning shot to set all our asses straight, to finally get our shit together else we risk something or someone, even worse." The group was silent, like a scolded classroom. Someone way in the back added, "'Maybe a statue then in Trump's honor?' Laughter followed. "'Hey, I'm game. If we can ride this ship and make America work for all races, all economic groups, city and rural, then yes, I'd welcome a Trump statue that would stand as a reminder of just how close we came to tearing our country apart because of economic disparity and nativism. She walked away, doing to us what I asked Craig Miller to do to Republicans back in Ohio. We can fool ourselves into thinking we can still reach across the aisle to make headway. But when our hearts are so hardened, when we are triggered by the smallest infractions of language, our best chance at progress, or at least our first step towards it, is to reach our own peers, to lower their fever, to draw them away from the fringes, even just a few degrees. Our collective temperatures have reached a boiling point. The rise of mass shootings from right-wing nationals is just one symptom. It will get worse if we stay on this national trajectory. It was time for Viv to take the stage, which meant it was time for me to destroy the pp tape. Chapter 20, Everybody Hurt Sometime. Ted Kaczynski didn't succeed in turning San Francisco red. That was an ambitious goal. But his efforts in the Bay Area did spark a movement that spread to university campuses with sleeper cells in most metro areas. And flipping just a few metro districts and battleground states from blue to red was arguably more effective. Speaking of sleep, mine was very poor leading up to this night. I had acute insomnia that was utterly debilitating. I feared going to bed at night, my heart racing as I clung to the sheets, desperate for relief. Any sleep I did manage included cold sweats and a soaking t-shirt I had to change at night. I was taking antidepressants for the past year and now I was adding anti-anxiety and sleeping pills on top of them. I was barely above water, but still lucky, with just enough social and financial equity to keep me afloat. My lack of sleep was causing a ringing in my ears that worsened as the day progressed. It was 6 p.m. on October 15, 2020, when I approached Viv's staging room. I heard a wave of applause erupt as Viv took the stage. In the distance, I could hear Viv's voice begin to echo through the venue. I scanned the room, still in the doorway. Viv took the podium. It was quiet as she looked around the crowd for longer than usual. She didn't seem herself, always hopeful and full of optimism. It was strange. The crowd felt it, too. So close to the end, so close to victory, you'd think she'd hit the tape running with glee. But Viv knew this wasn't the end. It was barely the beginning, and the gravity of that realization was clear in her posture and her energy. I paused a second in the doorway of Viv's office, trying to imagine where... Viv would hide her laptop. Where to search first? Like many of you, I have done some soul-searching over the past four years, and if I'm being honest, at times I've let the negativity get to me. Maybe you felt it too, Viv said. The audience nodded in approval. I rushed over to her desk with urgency, sensing I was on the clock. I opened a steel drawer saw there was no room for a laptop, and slammed it shut. I recoiled at the sharp, tinging noise from metal on metal slamming together. My hearing was compromised from extended sleeplessness. My inner ear felt like a snare drum every time a blunt noise rang out. It hurts to hear racism. It hurts to hear chants of sender back directed at U.S.-born congresswoman. It hurts to see mass shootings in the name of white nationalism, and it hurts to hear the silence from Republicans on all these issues. It hurts. Her desk was a dead end. I rushed toward the closet next. A dank, musky odor leached out as I opened the door. Hate is bubbling over, and it's contagious. We've fanned it. We've encouraged it we've added to it. Some have even profited from it. I kick myself for being surprised that it's back, as if our journey was somehow completed back in the 60s and 70s. We made it. It's over. You can all go home now and binge your favorite TV shows. If you haven't heard, we've defeated hate forever. It's never over. Every day, we ten gardens, we mend relationships, we nourish ourselves, and we heal communities. We do this not once every four years, and certainly not when we've reached a crisis level. Every day we contribute, or we do not, she said. I pulled everything from the closet and tossed it to the floor. Adrenaline kept me moving. It's all I had left tunnel vision kicked in. My focus narrowed. My sight was keener than my hearing as the sounds from the auditorium receded further and further till it no longer registered in my conscious. I was lost in my singular goal, no longer reachable. Every generation is tested. Normandy, Selma, Vietnam, 9-11. Our test is now. It's an existential one, and it's asking 7 billion people to heal our planet and share its bounty over the next 50 years and if we do not the pitchforks are coming and there ain't no wall that will protect the haves from the have-nots i chuckle to myself when i hear pundits say democrats want to turn us into france i think to myself we already are france France of 1789, when the poor came for the heads of noble men and noble women. That's what an imbalanced society looks like. That's what we have today. I turned over the entire room. Nothing. I sat on the couch, exhausted. Maybe it wasn't in here. I took out my phone to call Shelley. I gazed at the adjacent wall, in defeat, wondering what I was going to tell her. I dialed. She picked up before the second ring. Do you have it, she said. I didn't answer. I was staring at a photo on the wall across from me. Toledo, do you have it? I grew foggy as the adrenaline dissipated. I stood up, unsure of my footing, and walked toward the picture. I'm coming down there right now. Do you hear me? I studied it. It was an image of Viv as a young girl. There were other photos on the wall of Viv as an adult, Viv with Obama, Viv leading a march, Viv volunteering abroad. But it was this image that caught my eye. Sorry, I'm I'm a little off tonight, Viv said. It wasn't an admission as much as an acknowledgement. She never faked anything. Why deny a real emotion or vulnerability? But I see you, and it gives me strength, so thank you. Viv closed her eyes. A tear finally succumbed to gravity. She kept her eyes closed. She was silent. For a long time, in fact. It's an amazing thing, silence. Such power to heal and hurt, depending on the context. Humor me for a moment, will you? She said. Close your eyes with me. Think of a future we want to leave for our children's children someday. What does it look like to you? In the picture I studied, Viv was in a lake with her father. She was being tossed high into the air. The photo was snapped at her apex. can't see her father's face, only his back, with his shoulders straining to propel her higher and higher. Her face was that of elation. I see family and laughter playing together in water or in the shade of trees. But most striking, I see lightness. I see a levity that only comes from security, a belief that we're making progress, all of us. We're on track. There is less suffering today as there was yesterday. There's less hate. There's more sharing. We, together, are making it better than how we got it. We're gonna be all right today and tomorrow. I reached for the picture and pulled it off the wall. The photograph was mounted not on a black frame, as in the case of the surrounding pictures, but on the underside of a laptop. Let us point collectively to that society that we owe to our grandchildren in 50 years, one that is equitable, safe, and fulfilling, and then let us draw a map to get us there, to get them there. The audience cheered as I pulled the bomb from my pocket. Chapter 21, Radical Centrist. Clutter. That is the word I would use to describe my brain that day. A tangled mess of conflicting ideas and emotional angst. In these moments, we cannot see the forest for the trees. We feel stuck, directionless. Our pain feels unending. We want relief. Anything to change this right now. Buddhism says it's the resistance that causes the pain. I remember a visit to the dentist office in my youth. A dentist pulled out a needle to give my gums a shot of Novocaine. I cried at the mere sight of it. Thoughts can kill us, it's true. Consider the real story of a woman who receives a diagnosis from her doctor. She's otherwise healthy, but she misunderstands his words. She thinks she hears him say, terminal case. She works herself into a frenzy, has a heart attack, and dies, killed by her own thoughts. On the other hand, thoughtlessness can be equally as fatal. Too much thought, too little thought. I heard a quote once, I can never remember it though. It said something like, I want to care about the world enough to contribute, but not so much that it erodes my happiness. Does such a balance exist? I twirled the thumb drive between my thumb and index finger. Hi Toledo. It was Viv. I wasn't startled. I wanted to be found. Hi Viv. Can I sit down? It's your office. It's a common statement these days that hurt people hurt people. But hurt people can also help hurt people. And we both hurt. How are you? What do you mean by that? I was self-conscious, ironically, not because I had just stolen her computer, but because I felt shame by my deteriorating mental state. You look like you're hurting. That sounds like judgment. Or, maybe it takes one to know one, she said, implying she was hurting too. You don't know my pain. Try me. Now listen. It's pointless. Nothing will change. It does change, Toledo. It's just slow. And the burden isn't entirely ours to carry. In the meantime, there is relief. We can change ourselves and how we respond. I think I know a way I can speed things up, I said cryptically, looking at the bomb. You don't know that, Toledo. And I get the sense that you may be compromised and maybe not thinking very clearly, she said with care that it landed with a thud in my ears. I don't need your pity, I said defensively. I didn't mean it that way. I know who you are, and you just don't seem yourself today. She stood up now. Would she lunge for her computer? I gripped it tighter. I am tired. I'm tired of lies, hate, and ignorance. I think the best medicine is to lock them in the closet for another four years with him and his vitriol until they can't take it anymore and bang on the door pleading to let them out. You're not well, Toledo. I think you may be having a breakdown. "'What are you talking about? I'm a stable genius,' I said with a forced laugh. "'I know you stand for truth, and you are holding truth in your hands. Would you destroy it?' "'Truth isn't truth,' I said, parroting Rudy Giuliani. "'It's hard to have a conversation, Toledo, when you're not being very rational.' Well, it's hard to win an argument with a smart person, and damn near impossible with a stupid person. She finally laughed. Bill Murray? The mood lightened for a moment, but was instantly shattered by the voice of another person at the door. Do it, Toledo. It was Shelley. Do it now. Oh, hi, Shelley. I think you two already know each other. Destroy that tape, and I promise, in just four years' time, we will emerge with a united voice. Give them four more years of Trump so we can save the next 20 years. You have no idea that will happen, Viv interrupted. It's better than thinking old man Biden will fix these new problems with his old ideas. To this point, Viv did not seem to disagree. I took notice of her uncertainty. Toledo, how well do you even know Shelly? What are you saying? He knows all he needs to know, Shelly said. Certainly, you've noticed all the calls she gets from D.C. Do you even know who's calling her? Who? I asked. Toledo, she's trying to manipulate you. She's treating you like a child. Typical Democrat. He can make decisions on his own. Not if he doesn't have all the facts. Alternative facts. Give me a break. Then tell him, Shelley. Tell him who your boyfriend is. A fourth person now walked into the room. A man who had been listening just outside the door. Who was none other than Stephen Miller, Trump's senior advisor. Him? I can explain, Toledo. We met on Tinder. It was meant to be a pity fuck. But after I got to know him... She looked lovingly over at Stephen Miller, who remained expressionless, soulless. He's actually deeper than you think. Deep? The guy with spray on hair is deep? Shelley saw my disgust, didn't like it, and took a step toward me. Viv matched her step for step. I retreated, but found I was already backed into a corner. My stress was high. I felt threatened. I dug my heels in. I'd be damned if I let these two women force my hand. I reached into my pocket and grabbed something. They froze, fearing the worst. Toledo, please. You've been misled. Are you calling me stupid? Are you insulting me? Yes, yes, she is, Shelley said. Viv thinks she knows better than you. But you and I know. We can end this crazy cycle if we just stick with the plan. For God's sake, Shelley, he's hurting. How can you take advantage of him? Quit your moral superiority act. You've had your chance. We've tried your way and it's not working. It is working. We can't expect things to change overnight. We've run out of time. It's a crisis now. As they argued back and forth, they didn't notice me raise my hand in precisely the way someone would hold a gun. Four more years of Trump will show them all the emptiness of the GOP vision. Four more years of Trump could radicalize more white nationalist terrorists and make hopeless an entire generation. We need an abrupt reset. I can't exist any longer as both sides bicker, achieve very little progress where 90% of us continue their downward spiral. It's a growing pain. We've faced challenges before. We argued then and executed solutions. It's not always pretty. That's democracy for you. But it resulted in a pretty darn good country. Wait, wait, what are you doing, Toledo? Don't! I did it. In that moment, I completed my journey through the stages of grief that started four years ago. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression. And now, acceptance. I felt lighter. I knew what to do. From my pocket, I had pulled out a coin. Holding it out, extending it in my curled hand, I tossed it high in the air. And while it flipped round and round, I smiled, content with either outcome.